With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. Well, we've been talking about just like brief overview. <laughs> Duck. <laughs> we, um, we've been talking about grace. And um, the dimensions of grace. Because we, you know, I came to the realization that grace isn't one dimension. In other words, it isn't just God's unmerited favor, which is the way, you know, that's our little stamp definition. But um, it's, it is more than that because like in the Old Testament, when God introduced himself, himself, he said, I am. Well, am is that active dynamic verb. It isn't static. It's an active verb, which meant I am expressing myself actively and dynamically all the time. And um, and who he is is love. I am love. I am light. And um, and he's everything we need. He is, his love is full of grace. And so after messing around with all kinds of definitions and spending weeks trying to come up with enough words to figure out what grace is, the Lord just dropped four words into my spirit one day. Blew me out of the water, but it's the best definition ever. Love expressed is grace defined. And that's what he told me. And I went, right on. That's it. Love expressed is grace defined. And I thought, wow, there you go. How do you, how do you describe love expressed other than experiencing it? You know, and that's the whole point. He wants everybody to experience that love. So if you, if you look at, at grace as being love expressed, um, it started with his creation of man because he had a simple desire to express his love, to be I am to somebody. And um, of course, when Adam and Eve fell, grace intervened again, covered them, offered the animal sacrifices, set them up, didn't, did everything he could at the time to, um, and, and he prophesied about the coming of Jesus even right there. Um, um, everything he could to keep the doors open so that he could fellowship with and love his man and possess his man for himself. And eventually Jesus, for God so loved the world, and there's that grace, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came right down the middle of our mess. Um, God being a perfect God could never look away from sin. He could never deny sin. He had to deal with it. And so he dealt with it head on. The, the price, the wage, the cost of sin is death. And Jesus paid the death price. And he paid for everything in full. So that you and I as believers can live under grace and not under the law. Um, we, we've been misled and over the years, I mean, everybody's well-meaning and and um, it's okay, but it it has kept the church crippled because we haven't had 
a true understanding of what all that grace did. So if you start to look at the dimensions of grace, and that's what we've been doing, um, um, we've talked about grace uh, ministering outside to bring us to himself. Grace acting to bring, him to, to bring us to himself. Then you have grace acting in us, wooing us, drawing us to himself, then coming in with us and transforming us, working on the inside of us and building us up and strengthening us and teaching us and, and moving us from glory to glory to glory. That's God in us. And um, in that inner working... We, we just sort of finished up talking about this idea that we were sinners and we were saved by grace, but we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's our permanent, unchanging status as born-again believers. You never fall in and out of righteousness when you're a born-again believer. You don't ever fall in and out of the grace of God unless you turn off the faucet yourself. The grace of God flows. We are seen as righteous before Him. And then we begin to talk about the, the fact that we have this sin-conscious nature. And instead of leading us away from the law and under the grace, it leads us to the law. Um, but under the law... That sin consciousness cripples the church. It cripples all of us. Um, because we go into self-righteousness, meaning we think we can do something to be forgiven when we can't. Um, this idea of confessing your sins and getting forgiveness and then putting yourself back in right standing with God. The truth is we never fell out of right standing with God. The truth is every thing that we've ever done wrong, past, present, and future, has been paid for. It's done. And it doesn't belong to us anymore. Um, you know, we've talked about when you're born, your life is heading downhill all the way to on a non, you know, non-sticky surface all the way to hell. That's where we're headed. Somewhere along that lifeline, we meet Jesus at the cross. We all will. The cross is going to hit us in the face somewhere. At that point, we make the decision to become born again. If we ask him to come into our lives and we are born again, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because our whole life, our past is obliterated. It doesn't exist anymore. The future never will exist anymore. We have become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Our lifeline is now his lifeline. His past is our past. His present is our present. And his future is our future. We're in his lifeline. Um, as he is, so are we in this world. And so in Christ Jesus, we are the righteousness of God. And that's where we are. We're hidden in Christ Jesus. So we have to get over that sin conscious idea. Um, in Hebrews, it's called an evil conscience. We have to get over that. And we have to get to the place where we are grace conscious. 
Um, sin consciousness leads us to self-righteousness because we can make ourselves righteous by confessing our sins or by doing good things. And um, grace consciousness brings you to the cross and an utter humility in the idea that we can do nothing but God did everything. Um, grace consciousness brings life. Um, in um, 1 Timothy, um, Paul's trying to explain to Timothy. Go to 1 Timothy with me real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 1. How you doing? Want me to help you find that over there? First Timothy chapter one. You got a new Bible. That's pretty. All the way to the back and go as far back there. Okay, keep traveling. Keep going. If you get to Revelation, you went too far, but you're doing good. Keep going. Keep going. That's Acts. Keep going. More and more. You're going to be like on the last six pages here. Yeah. Yeah. Got something else you'd like to read? Yeah, this is this is beautiful Bible one. That is gorgeous. Okay, there it is. First Timothy one, and um, <coughs> we're just going to read a couple of verses here. Start with verse five. First Timothy one, verse five. Okay. <coughs> now the end of the commandment is charity, or love, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. Yeah, verse 5. You with me? All right. Um, right there. Um, okay, now the end of the commandment is charity, and, and charity is love, agape. Out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Um, and that faith and faith is in the work that Jesus did at the cross. That's what brings you to a good conscience. From which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling. People have gone back under the law, is what he's saying. You know, there were people that came after him who wanted to go back and teach the law. No, you have to be circumcised and then you can become a Christian. But you have to go, you have to follow the law. And Paul's saying, no, you can't swerve back into that. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. The law is not made for a righteous man. But for the lawless, and the disobedient, for the ungodly, and for the sinners, for the unholy and the profane. Um, the law then is for unbelievers. When they come before the living God, the Ten Commandments will be there. The law will be there. And they will be without excuse. 
Um, and they're going to know why. But when you and I go before the Lord, the law has been fulfilled. Jesus paid the price. It wasn't that we were found innocent. We were found guilty. But it's paid for. It's canceled out. The law has no power over us. We're not under the law. We're under grace. So when we stand before God, He will see a righteous child. That's what He's going to see. Because you're in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, He's righteous. Therefore, you are righteous. So we have to get away from that. Um, The last part of this, after talking about sin, is with this do good, get good, do bad, get bad. I'm going to add another phrase here. Do nothing, get nothing. We also end up, when you get under the law, bringing ourselves to a place where we are working, erga, instead of letting God work through us, poema. Um, It isn't the work per se that we do. It's how it's done. Okay? Um, It isn't that um, you and I um, don't do good things in the kingdom of God. We do. But from what source do we do them? If you are, are... being the vessel and allowing God to do the work through you, that's poema. And it has eternal consequences. But if you do the same job with your own power and your own energy, there's nothing in that. And yet we as Christians work ourselves to death um, trying to please God. You know, and, and if we say no, we have this guilt, immediate guilt, you know, we've let him down somehow. And um, we should be on this committee and we should be on that committee. And we should be doing this and we should be doing that. So you're saying that the do good, do good philosophy is related to our desire for yes. the belief of do nothing, get nothing. On right. Our desire, on our on part. Our part is also the big flaw. Right. It's a huge flaw. Okay. Um, because we, even if we don't mean to, we, we know we're doing things for the Lord. But we tend to want to chalk those up, you know, and keep a record of our own stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we really do. And um, when you do that, you're, it's in a way, it's do good, get good. God's smiling on me because I'm doing a good thing. And, um, it, and, and honestly, it doesn't work. We looked at Mary and Martha last time. You know, here's Jesus in the house with his buddies. And here's Martha in the kitchen thinking she's doing good things. She's the one that's doing it. She's suffering in the kitchen alone. Struggling to get food ready for everybody. To take care of everybody's needs. And finally she's just so disgusted with Mary. She goes out to Jesus and says, make her get up and do something. I'm in the kitchen all by myself doing nothing, doing all this work. And she's doing nothing. And Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, you are so worried about the, the silliest things. You know, she was trying to bless Jesus with what she was doing. There was nothing wrong with Martha's heart in what she was doing. Except that she was doing it herself. Jesus had just fed 5,000 with a couple loaves and fishes not too long before that. Don't you think that he could have handled that? Mary got it. She was a human being, not a human doing. (laughs) And um, 
Because of that, Martha missed the blessing. She missed the poema. Um, so I want you to go to John chapter 6. We're going back this way. John chapter 6. You know, I used to, I used to keep track of people that would lead to the Lord. Uh huh. You know, and I had a list, you know, in my back of my Bible, and uh, the Lord stopped me. He says, "Why are you doing that?" <laughs> he says, "I know all this stuff." Yeah. Why do you need to write it down? <laughs> you know, That's so, true. So and, I quit doing that. Yeah. Doing what? Right, he wrote down all the people. We're going to chapter 6. You're in 12 right now. Just go back a little bit this way. Yeah, he was keeping track of the people that he brought to the Lord. You know, all those that came in the kingdom that he prayed the prayer of salvation with. Yeah, and he was keeping track of that. The Lord said, just cut that out. And really, that's true because all we did was just lead him in the prayer. We didn't do nothing. God did the work through him anyway. And you're right, God had the record up there. It's a good one. His record's far more accurate than ours. That is funny. But that's exactly right because we tend to want to keep the record, you know. And um, we tend to want to rattle off a resume. Well, you know, and, and, and it's really, it's human nature because it's a work ethic. I don't know about you, but I was raised mm-hmm. with a work ethic. We call it a Protestant work ethic. Yeah, a Protestant work ethic. I am telling you. You have to keep your resume looking good. You do. You absolutely do. And I, that was one of the worst things I wrestled with when I retired. Because I couldn't account for every minute of every day and check off my list. I didn't get this done or that done or that done. Because I didn't have a list. And um, your value system changes. You know, I I had to suddenly stop being a a Martha and become a Mary. Well, for a type A personality, that is not easy. And, um, but that's when it hit me the hardest. When I realized that I was a doing instead of a being. And um, so when I hit this part of the study, for me, it was just like hitting me right between the eyes. You know, because the guilt really was on my part. You know, if I didn't do something, why was I feeling guilty about it? I was making myself feel guilty. Exactly. That's you know, what we do. We, we walk do. around feeling guilty. That's why we try yes. to make up for it by doing stuff. That's it. And um, God is trying to say to us, "You are free from that. You are free from that. You you show up where I send you. Just show up, and I'll get the job done." You know, we have one job and one job only. Do, do you guys remember, what's the name of that movie that Chevy Chase goes out to the ranch, to the dude ranch? What is that? City Slickers. City Slickers. And there's a cowboy in that. And he told, told him one time, he said, I've learned it. There's one thing in life. And he never would tell him what the one thing was. He's just one thing. I'm going to tell you what the one thing is. I'm going to give it to you right now. Are you in John 6? Yes. Okay. Look at verse 26. What had happened is, you know, he just fed them all the day before on the mountainside. 
So he got in the boat and crossed over to the other side of the lake and everybody followed him over there. And Jesus goes, what are you doing over here? You know, and they were looking for him and he said, you're not looking for me to get spirit food. You, you just want me to feed you another free meal, you know. <laughs> and um, then he says, you want to know what work you need to be doing? It's the same work I'm doing. All right, look at verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For him that has God the Father, uh, for him has God the Father sealed. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? That's the question we ask ourselves all the time. We're still dancing around that silly tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What must we do? That's what the rich young ruler asked Jesus. What, what must we, what I do? And he said, just give it all up. Follow me. Just give it up. And he couldn't do it because he needed to do something. He was a law man. But look what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to him, to them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Hmm. That is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Now, you can't please God without believing. You know, Hebrews eleven six. You must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You can't please God if you don't believe that. But that's our job. We believe. And then God does the work through us. Jesus says, now go flip over to chapter 14. <coughs> Jesus would just show up somewhere. And stuff happened. Like when, uh, you know, when they lifted the roof off and let that crippled man down. Do you know what the scripture says there? The spirit to heal was present with them. It didn't say Jesus was there to heal that man. It says the spirit to heal was there. Jesus was just the conduit. He was the vessel. The bushing. <laughs> Um, but this is what he said to the disciples. If you find um, John 14. Let's see, just a couple over here. Mm, I like your Bible. It's easy to read. Okay, John 14. We're looking at verse 10 right in here. Okay. Believe you not that I am in the Father... And the Father is in me. Now look, that's one thing we need to believe right now. That we're in the Father and the Father is in us. That we're in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is in us. We need to believe that. Okay? That takes care of so much of the other hang-ups that we have. The words that I speak to you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwells in me, He does the works. And that word is ergo. It's God's power that moves. Not me that does anything. The power to heal shows up. The power to deliver shows up. God showed up in Jesus' body. 
So you and I need to start looking at ourselves as being um, just vessels. And God has organized your life for you. I love what Jeff said this morning. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Everything about us has been written down since before the foundations of the world. And then we just showed up. And in that, every detail of our lives is written down. He is not surprised when you get up and go to work every day that you are where you are. He doesn't go, oh my gosh, how did he get there? I have no idea what he's doing there. He knows exactly where you are. And if he doesn't like you there, I know this from experience, he will knock you out of there. He will move you on. He will close doors and he will move you around. Bill and I have been through that a few times. Um, but we have an assurance that when we show up where he wants us to, the blessings of God, the grace of God flow. First they flow to us and then they flow through us to other people. Um, so you can still work, but when you just bring your vessel to wherever you're supposed to be, work changes. Everything about it changes. Because it isn't you doing the work, it's God doing the work through you. You know, but you have to acknowledge that because, um, and I know this is true, when I would teach in my own strength for very long at a time, I was so exhausted you know, I was doing the same job, but I was physically, mentally, emotionally drained and exhausted. Things weren't going right. But the minute you would relinquish and say, all right, Lord, I'm backing up. I'm giving this to you. I'm starting over again. Everything would turn around. It's not that the work changes. It is who does the work mm -hmm. changes. And so we, we can't say do good, get good, because God is good, and God is the doer. Okay? Um, and so what we do is good. So it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're you know, working at, at, in a volunteer ministry like the food bank or Love Inc. or street preaching or prison ministry or any of that. It doesn't matter if you're an architect or a business finance man, an engineer, a, you know, um, farmers, medical. It doesn't matter what your job is. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Um, when God calls you to a place as a vessel, okay, then you are spirit-driven and passionate to do what you were called to do. You know, and if you start feeling like you're running uphill with, you know, in the mud, then maybe you need to stop and ask, am I doing the work now or is God driving this work? Am I letting God just use me? Am I showing up? with an anticipation of seeing the grace of God flow through me to other people. It will change the way you work. It probably it won't change what you do, but it surely does change how you do it. And you are transformed from doing erga, manual labor, hard physical labor, to poema. And, and you accomplish so much more. And it has eternal ramifications. Grace conscious people... Do not worry over failure or shortcomings. That's another biggie here. When you're worried about and measuring yourself against other people and measuring your job against other people's jobs. And see, for a teacher of reading, the whole world has a measuring stick up for what you do with the kids in your classroom. And I don't care what anybody says. Well, it's just all of us working together. No. Reading teachers are on the spot. 
And so are math teachers because we look at those scores and that's the measuring stick, right? And I used to labor a lot under that fear and worry of failure. <clears throat> I think about how much time in my life I've wasted stressing when I could have rolled this over on the Lord, you know, and, and not spent my time worrying about failure or shortcomings. If I'm not doing the work, it's not my failure, it's not my shortcoming. If God's doing the work through me. So let it go, and then you don't have to worry about failure and shortcomings. God does the work. It's really an amazing thing. Um, John Wesley's story, we've talked about this before, but I want to read what he wrote because it's pretty cool. Um, he got saved, he got born again, and he was called to be a preacher, an evangelist. And he got on fire, but he started like Peter to do ergot, to work physically, before God sent the Holy Spirit so he could be poema. He's still called to do the same job. <clears throat> but he did it two different ways. The first time he came to America and traveled and preached, um, it ended up in a disaster. And rather than bringing people to Christ, he ended up a broken man. <clears throat> and he was sailing back to England broken because he was not able to accomplish what he thought he was going to accomplish. And he, and he was writing in his diary, and just to paraphrase it, he said, you know, I, I went over there to get people saved. But who's going to save me? Who is going to save me? He was a broken man. <clears throat> so after he returned home, he began looking for answers. You know, why? Why this? Why that? Okay. <clears throat> um, he wrote this about his Aldersgate experience. He said, in the evening, <clears throat> I went very unwillingly to a meeting in Aldersgate Street. <clears throat> a gentleman was describing the change which works in the heart through faith in Jesus Christ. I suddenly felt my heart strangely warmed. <clears throat> and I truly did trust in Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins. Even mine saved me from the law of sin and death. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and here I found the difference between this and my former state. It chiefly consisted in that I was striving, yes, fighting with all my might under the law as well as under grace. He was fighting with all his might, struggling to preach, struggling to do the things he was called to do. <clears throat> but then, I was sometimes, if not often, conquered. Now, <clears throat> I am always the conqueror. <clears throat> and the difference is the final work of grace in John Wesley. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to make this statement and see what you think. If we are sin conscious, we cannot do the work nor walk by faith. Think about it. Makes sense. Um, James calls it um, corresponding actions. Faith without corresponding actions is dead. 
But if your faith is in your doing, and this is what we're talking about, confessing your sins to be forgiven, prayer and fasting to get something from God, volunteer work to be approved of God. Is your faith in your confessing to be forgiven? Is your faith in your prayer and fasting in order to get an answer from God? Is your faith in your volunteer work to make you acceptable? Rather than having that complete and total faith in the full work of Jesus Christ at the cross in which we can do nothing. So this, I was in the middle of all this last year when I was really struggling with, you know, with retirement. And I think that's one reason the Lord brought me through this is so that I could get over it. You know, just get over myself. In Galatians 3.11 and in Romans 2, Jesus said, The justified shall live by faith. And who are the justified? The word justified means righteous virtuous, faultless, guiltless, accepted of God. Those people live by faith. So grace conscious people become overcomers. You know, they're the ones that are bold and full of the Spirit because they are not full of fear of failure and shortcomings. And more and more I hear people say, oh, I could never do that, I can't. You know, I, I'm not worthy to do that. I can't pray for somebody to be healed. I don't want to, you know, minister here or there. Oh, no. You try to get people to go up to the altar and pray with you and anoint people. Oh, no, I can't do that. You know, that that's never going to happen. Um, and, and it comes out of fear of failure and shortcomings. It's fear. It's just pure fear. And that comes from sin consciousness. As long as we're sin conscious, we're always going to have that fear of failure. Whether it's in our business or whether it's in anything else. And that fear of failure will check you right there and keep you from being bold. Okay? Um, we focus on the work of Jesus to bring deliverance and um, then your heart is full of joy and then you begin to overcome. When sin consciousness captures your imagination... With a vain imagining, you're held in bondage. Um, there's no sense of pride in our own actions to be acceptable to God. But an overwhelming sense of humility that God, in our worst state, wiped the slate clean for us. And we live justified, <coughs> guiltless and blameless by faith in God. That's the greatest work of grace that he did on our behalf. And that's Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And we're right back where we started with grace in the first place. And I'm just going to go back and read it to you. You can go with me if you want to. Ephesians chapter 2. Mm. This is really, you know, some of my favorite scripture. 1 through 4. And this is the deal that I just keep coming back to. If God did all of that for me 
What makes me think he won't do all of that through me for someone else? You know, I don't have to do it. I just have to show up. I just have to show up. And God will make the conversation. He'll set up the meeting. He'll do whatever. He'll do it. But we don't have to keep feeling like we have to do things. And um, I get a little frustrated anymore when people in church try to guilt you into getting on a committee or guilt you into doing things. Um, Because if you do it out of guilt, there's really not even any love in that. That's just like, okay, I'll do it. You know? I find it too that, um, like for me joining the choir, mm-hmm. I had to be dragged into it. It took a year and a half uh-huh. to me to join. Yeah. Before I finally listened and went, and now I'm just loving it. Like, Isn't that great? Like mad. My voice, my singing voice is getting better. That's great. That's great. But I didn't know what to do it, you know, and I was very disobedient. Right? Well, and you know, the Lord will... Yeah. The Lord will... Right. He will bump you around to get you exactly where he wants you. But if you, you know, if you accept the work of the Lord, you pick it up in your own hands and your own energy just to escape a guilty feeling or a guilty conscience, it's going to be, you know, there's nothing in it. But once the Holy Spirit kicks in and and you show up and you know that you're supposed to be there and you'll know it. You would be miserable if you were not, you would not be able to sit there and do that anyway, you know, unless the Lord had put you there. You couldn't stay. You'd, you'd be doing it, make everybody else happy. But you just wouldn't be happy yourself. And that's, that happens so much in the church. And I think we get a lot of people out of place in the body because of that. Um, we have people trying to be all things to all people, and that's never what God's called us to do. He calls us to love, period. And even that's a fruit-bearing thing. You know, everything about us should be a fruit-bearing thing. Okay, chapter 2, verse 1. And you, he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and the fashion of this world and were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works on the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, the unbelieving, who go against the purposes of God. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh Our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensible nature. And even Paul, as religious as he was, and a man of law like he was, was living under his own corrupt nature. He thought he was pleasing God. He thought he was doing the right thing. You know, God had to take care of that. Obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings. And dark imaginings are just anything that runs counter to the word of God. And we have a lot of dark imaginings. You know, you think, oh no, but boy, I got into grace and I had a lot of dark imaginings. A whole lot of dark imaginings. I I had it wrong. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. But God So rich is he in his mercy. And because of 
And in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he quickened him. For it is by grace... His, un, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you were saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. All about the grace. All about the power of Christ. So if that's the way it is, then we need to just show up and let him be it. You know, that's exactly what we need to do. Okay, finished with guilt consciousness sin consciousness anybody got a comment or anything you want to say about that okay enough said there were, hmm? we now got to shape up yeah now you got to shape up I mean, that's we what know i'm saying all of this. It's yeah a of it is it's, it's it's you know you get those habits those mental habits and those those thought tracks that you just you know that's why you have to be transformed you can't just change your, you have to literally be supernaturally transformed in order to get that out of there. Because you, you can't even do that on your own. Because it's so ingrained in us. And, um, and it's not, it's like the work ethic. You know, we're not all, um, and it used to just gall the, the priest, you know, that Jesus and his buddies would go walking through the fields and glean in the fields and, you know, stuff like that. It just drove them crazy that they were doing that. And I'm sure they thought, just bums, you know? Yeah, because the poor people used to glean, you know, that's what they would do. And so I'm sure they thought those useless bums and then show up in church. And However, they had such a big money purse, you know, they had to have a treasurer, crooked as he was. But um, it, it's that work ethic thing. Jesus just showed up wherever he's supposed to be. He didn't have a time and a place. He didn't have a schedule every day. Okay, we're going to get up, men. We're going to march five miles. We're going to meet with this guy. And then we're going to have this meeting tonight. And then we're going to... He didn't. He just got up. And the Lord would say, go to Samaria. I want you to talk to this lady at the well. And he'd go to Samaria and hang out there. And then they'd have dinner. And all of a sudden, he decides to stay a few days. It, you know, but he just did what God wanted him to do. And then God did the rest. So that's... We have to change the way we look at, at what we do. Well, but you know, even in the church, there's a pressure or expectation to yeah. produce numbers. Yes. Okay. I have a confession to make. I also have a list of people that I prayed with and that do. Sound <laughs> <laughs> I have a list right in the back of my Bible. There you go. And we got not too long ago a monthly newsletter. Talking about how many people are you leading? Ah, oh, to the Lord. Yeah. Are you leading 10, 20, 50, maybe even 100? Okay. I feel that I need to be bringing people into the kingdom. I really feel strongly about this. I need to make that available. And I understand that... <coughs> The Holy Spirit will do the leading. The circumstances will be there. It'll be the right place, the right time. But, you know, I need to be bold enough to open my mouth and lead people. And I've led people in unexpected circumstances mm -hmm. sometimes 
Oh, I everything know. was right. Yeah. And so and that's I exactly the way. I get a letter like that. Yeah. Okay. This person here thinks I'm not doing enough. Yeah. Maybe my expectations were too low as far as my right. efforts. <laughs> And maybe I should be bringing in. <coughs> and isn't that funny? Or, and well, if you I hear yourself like saying, maybe year, I, I fell short have looked. This year, I, I didn't bring in as many or that's right. as I maybe thought I should. But we so that makes you a failure, doesn't it? Or have any shortcomings? Yes. Or we did. starting a new Sunday school class. Yeah. Well, how many people do you have signed up? Yeah. And it almost makes you want to think. No, not enough people are interested. You're not uh, good enough. Yeah, but and you know what? I've what learned a long time ago. If one person shows saying, up, now what teach I like your hair is on fire. Get more people to yeah. sign up, put their name on the paper. Yeah. And I got to no. the point where I thought stressful. It know, is stressful. I feel called. If it's God that's calling me, and the doors are right. He's gonna make it happen. That's he right. opened up a wide open door for me. Mm -hmm. He closed one door. Opened Open up another. a bigger, better door. Yeah. And, you know, everything fell That's in right. its proper time. And Just place. relax. Mm. And I thought, you know, what am I doing? Yeah. If he wants this to happen, it will. he's going to bring the people. Mm -hmm. and, and it he'll doesn't do matter if I have six people, 20 mm -hmm. people, 30 people. Or one. If one person shows up and they're the person that... I've had a class of one her, plenty of times. That's what counts. What's good is to have 20 people that don't care to learn mm. when you have a half dozen that really <coughs> right. are hungry. That's well, like you said, how about just one? Just, just one. one. I, you and, know, teach like your hair's on fire. That's just that's what you do. Mindset. That's it. Mm. It's a whole different mindset when you start to say, it's not me that has to do that's it. That's right. I, I have to do, anything. to do what God right. tells me. There you do. go. And he and knows exactly. That's it. And And when you have that one that shows up, I usually find that that one needed it. One-on-one, uh -huh. -on -one, there was something. And um, you just you just be obedient where you are. Wherever you're called, go there and then just plant and bloom. It's like you don't yeah. want to be lazy. On the other hand, right. you have to know who is the author and finisher. That's right. That and is exactly right. And be obedient to what you're told to do. That's exactly that right. Author. That's it. And, and you know the pressure's there, in, even in church. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Jeff's under that pressure all the time. How many new members you get? The whole thing that you were talking about about how religion throws a guilt trip, throws the law. Yes. Back on. Us. Yes, it does. And yet that has nothing to do with what true mm -hmm. grace is. That's right. That's right. And and. See, the devil doesn't have a problem with us going to church. And he doesn't have a problem with us being religious. He's fine with that. And, and he loves it if we live under the law because, um, you know, that's... It, yeah, we're dead. There's a doornail. Good as dead. We, we're powerless. We're full of fear and insecurities and feeling guilty all the time. And um, he's fine with that because you're, you're not going to get in his way. You, you know, he's fine. He attends church on Sunday, believe me. You know. Oh, I'm sure he's had a visit or two. Well, we need, we need you know. to, I think yeah. the bottom line is we need to find God's will and purpose That's right. for us individually That's and it. then let him lead us into it. Right. right. There's a scripture, and I don't I just read it here this past week. It says, what's the goal of your faith? Mm, that's a good question. What's the goal of your faith? And the scripture says, the salvation of your soul. Mm. 
<coughs> in John 6, chapter 6, <coughs> and Jesus had talked about the bread of life, okay? Um, he says here, 637, all that the Father gives me, mm-hmm. all that the Father gives him, okay, <coughs> will come to me. I will never drive him mm-hmm. away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. The salvation of your soul. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's your scripture reference? Six thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one. So <laughs> Jesus takes everything and focuses it on God. He doesn't mm-hmm. focus it on Him. I'm the Son of God. Yeah. He doesn't even do that. Right. He focuses it back to God. I'm here not because I want to be. Well, I'm reading between the lines. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading between the lines here. Okay. But he says, but cut the will to do the will of God. Okay. So in all the doings and everything else, it's nothing to do with me. Right. It's what happens right. when you're a by vessel. the power of God. That's it. That's a great way to segue into exactly where we're going next. Because the next dimension is literally the power of God. God's agent of grace in the world. That's exactly where we're going. It's all the power of God. Yeah, did you want to say something else? Yeah, I just saw another quote that was appropriate here. Talking about religion. Religion is God's... No. Religion is man's search for God. And Christianity is God's search for man. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And and it turns everything on its head. But we we want to try to combine it. You know, put one foot in one world, one foot in the other. You can't. You have to let go. You have to let go. Yeah. And um, to the degree that you get revelation, that's the degree you can let go of the world in, in whatever area there is. So, you know, and then you can trust God and and, and the grace will flow. And this fourth dimension, this is, uh, you know, to this point, we, we've kind of talked about actually what, what would be John 3, not John 3, John 6, when um, Jesus says, you know, uh, or no, I'm sorry, it would be John 4, when Jesus is speaking to the little woman at the well, and he says, you, you drink of the water I give you, and out of you... There will be a well springing up unto eternal life. Living water springing up unto eternal life. That has been where we are so far. We've been working on the, the move of grace in our lives. Um, living water is real important in that in the temple, <clears throat> there was a pool in front of the area where they would offer sacrifices. 
and the pool had an, an entrance for, for fresh water to run in and an exit for water to flow out. So this was continually fresh water flowing in. They called that living water. And that was the water that, that people bathed in to purify themselves. And that's why the living water is so powerful because they were purifying the outside of themselves. Symbolically representing the inside, but they still had to sacrifice the animals to take care of the inside. So this was very symbolic. And Jesus says to this woman, if you drink of the water I give you, there will be living water bubbling up inside you. A never-ceasing Constant supply of fresh water. What's that doing? Washing you from the inside out. Transforming you from the inside out. Everything has been on the outside. So we move from John 4 to John 6. And Jesus is shouting at the temple in the last day of them. If you're still in John, go to John 6. John 6. I'm sorry, John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And um, <clears throat> on the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up in the temple and he shouts. Verse 37. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Okay. But this he spoke of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Pentecost had not come. He hadn't even been to the cross yet. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit didn't come until Jesus was restored in heaven. Okay. So... Now we're talking about this same living water going from being the grace inside us, working in us, strengthening us, cleansing us continually, um, to now a gusher of water flowing out of our belly, out of our heart, midst of us. Um, and that river is going out into the world. That's the river that goes. We are the throne. We are the throne of God. And uh, if you go to Ezekiel 47 with me, can you find Ezekiel 47? Ezekiel 47. This picture is a picture of really what, what our work looks like. So we just show up. It's the rivers of living water. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, the agent of God's grace. He is the agent of God's grace. Love expressed. Okay? So that, that Holy Spirit gushing out of us is, is God doing the work through us for the world. You and I do not have that power, but, but um, a gushing river um, has enough power to wash anything away in front of it. It has enough power to feed a field and cause it to flourish. It has enough water, I mean, power to do all things, amazing things. And um, um, Ezekiel now is in a vision. He's seeing 
under the floor of the Holy of Holies, here comes the river gushing out. And um, this is what it looked like. Um, uh, verse 2, 47 2. Then he brought me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looks eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the ankle. And again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the knees. And again he measured a thousand cubits and brought me through, and the waters were to the loins. And afterwards he measured a thousand and it was a river. And I could not pass over it, for the waters were risen. Waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. So great a river there. That river is flowing out of the throne room of God. The right hand of God. Who's at the right hand of God? And so you and I, in Christ Jesus, have this river of living water that should be flowing out of us into the world. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river there were very many trees on the one side and the other. And then he said to me, These waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert. Isn't that where we want our, our living water to go? Into the dry places. And go into the sea which being brought forth into the sea, the water shall be healed. He's talking about the Dead Sea. The sea is a type of lost humanity. The Dead Sea is the ultimate in lost humanity. And he says, when this river of water gushes forth and touches that Dead Sea, everything comes to life. So, what you and I are is the carrier of this river that flows out of our bellies. And it isn't you and I that do any of this. God does it through us. Okay? And it shall come to pass that everything that lives, which moves, wheresoever the rivers shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live where the river comes. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi even to Eneglium. And they will be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds as the fish of a great sea, exceeding many. How did the fish get there with the living water? So the living water brings the fish so that they can be netted and brought into the kingdom. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. And isn't that always the way? You can bring the river close to a lot of people, but some people just never allow the river in and they stay the mires and the marshes. It's a sad thing, but that's, you know, that's just part of it. You and I are not responsible to force people into the kingdom. We're responsible to bring the river wherever we go. We're responsible to just show up with the anointing and let God do His work. That's what we're responsible for. Um, 
Okay. Um, <clears throat> and by the river and upon the bank thereof and on this side and on that shall grow all trees for meat whose leaves shall not fade neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed and it shall bring forth new fruit according to his months see that, that water will cause us to be fruit bearers too that living water flowing out of us is also going to touch our soil and we're going to be those fruit bearers because they're waters they issued out of the sanctuary and the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. Um, that's the picture of the fourth dimension of grace. God's power in the earth, moving and shaking and changing and shaping and bringing life where there was death, going into the desert lands, going into the Dead Sea, and the living waters, wherever they go, we bring life with us. We bring new life with us. And sometimes the fish will jump in the nets. Sometimes they won't. But people know when you come, if you've got new life. People know when you have something to offer. Some of this is going to be old ground because a lot of us have been here with this, this last. But I'm telling you, it was a good study for me. So um, we're gonna, we'll stop here and pick it up next time. We're going to start talking about... Um, the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'll talk slow. How many here know Mary Hartman? Oh, a lot of us know Mary, yeah. Uh, it was interesting that uh, Mary came to our Bible study on Thursday night, and we had about 25 or 30 that came regularly. And... Uh, she came in and uh, we didn't have anybody to play the piano. So they asked Mary to, to play, you know. Well, Mary says, oh, I'm not very good at this, you know. And she said, well, do what you can, you know. So she was, uh, she was playing and Betty went up to her and she said, Mary, she said, you've got to learn to play anything, any place, you know. You just can't... Uh, uh, you know, you can't have just something. You gotta have something special. Well, she, um, I got asked to speak to the full gospel businessmen's thing in, in uh, Johnstown, and uh, I didn't have anybody. They said, "Do you have anybody that can play the piano?" And I said, "Well, I don't know." You know, so uh, I asked Mary, and I said, "Would you uh, play play for us on the piano?" She says, "Oh, okay." You know. So we went over there, and and it, it's um, 600 people or better, you know, that were there. And Mary was uh, was asked to play something, and she sat down and she just plays through something, and and uh, goes back and starts over again. And uh, she played a song that she wrote in front of 600 people. Wow! Without God wrote it through her right there. You know, without anything. But but Mary can play anything. Uh, you she can it. now. I you can know, remember. She can play it. You know. Yeah. And and I mean it's it's spirit driven. It is. You know. Her music is. She has something else. Uh, but you talk about an individual, uh, just you know that that couldn't do this and couldn't do that. Uh, you know. But but. Uh, when she got to be that yielded vessel. You know, you know. God did it through her. It's amazing what he does. You're right. That's, I hadn't thought about Mary, but that's an awesome story. Yeah.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.